you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Products is that? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, the, uh, let me leave that. Hey, one of the overall joys of the, of the Mac platform nowadays is that it's um, really integrates well so that I can be working on something on my desktop and then it can be easily available on my laptop without having to save a file somewhere, make sure that it's shareable, you know, right. download the link, all that kind of stuff. So I, I love that little kind of what they call it, you know, uh, not compatibility, integration, whatever. There's, yeah, they have a nice, of course, near copyrighted term, you know, just like they try to copyright the term Windows. But uh, okay. Well, that's Good something morning, to talk Colin. about. Hey, welcome, welcome to the fun. Hi. There we go. Hi, can you guys hear and see me okay? Yeah, yep. yeah. All right. So we got our third guest on, as Alan pointed out, our third esteemed yeah, guest. Exactly. Yay. Exactly. My, my son Colin, and, and he's um the geek of the week because he works at a comic book store, which is like the dream job for any 20-year-old, right? Exactly that. Either that or pinball testing back in the old days. You know? <laughs> By the way, Alan, side note, before I forget. Yes. I was at the Little Red Wagon, which is a really cool toy store in the area. Okay. They had a kit, cardboard kit you put together. It's a pinball machine, working pinball machine. It, it's all punched. That's pretty you cool. just fold it and put it together, and then you have a cardboard working pinball machine. Wow. That's, I, I was thinking the other day, you know, I haven't got a 3D printer yet, but it's, it's literally like Christmas money is going to do that. Same here. The joys of Christmas for, for that, for there's so many puzzles that I like, I mangled a piece and I want to recreate. Right. And I'm, I'm talking not jigsaw puzzles, but like Soma and Rubik's Cube and those kinds of things. And it used to be that you just kind of said goodbye and put it in the box and never played with it again. But now I have a thing called Screw Loose where it's a, <laughs> a, a, um, a big nut and screw. And there's a maze on the inside of the shaft of the screw that you can't see because you're working the nut over it. It's got a little nub on the nut that is what tracks the path through it. Well, if you, someone decided that they were going to play with it and they forced it and they snapped the nub off. So now, you know how you solve the maze? Zoop, zoop, you just move the nub up and down. Now I can actually recreate that particular thing and any number of other things. So just that to go back to what you were saying, you know, it's not only for puzzles, it's the, um, oh, oh well, it, the, yeah. the possibilities of, being able to get to something that I thought was a lost cause is really nice. We'll have to talk, get our printers and talk about that. I'll add it to the list. Exactly. The <laughs> so, but Colin's on here. We're talking about other stuff. We don't ever do that. No. Um, <laughs> exactly. so, but Colin, besides working at the store, you just went to C2E2. So tell everybody what C2E2 is and tell us some of the cool things. And we'll probably have plenty to interrupt you with. Oh, sure. So um, C2E2 stands for Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, and it is one of the largest comic cons in the country. I look at it as the largest con that is still about mostly comics, because, you know, you look at San Diego and you look at New York, 
the two actually largest cons and they're both very much focused on the movies and the shows now absolutely like you look at the guest list and sure jim lee shows up at both every year but 90 percent of it is tv and movie people Exactly. Um, the cast of Supernatural, the cast of the next Star Wars installment. Yeah. Else it might be. We, we saw, H, we saw the channel. Avengers trailer at New York Comic Con the year we went. First okay. time. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I, I don't know. When I go to a Comic Con, I want comic stuff. And so C2E2 was always kind of at the top of my list to visit. I remember growing up reading, starting with the New 52 Batman stuff, they had. DC would run ads around October every year for Chicago, and okay. they would have a list of every guest that did DC Comics at the time. Right. And I was always looking, and I'm like, oh my God, those are my favorite creators. This has got to be <laughs> like comic book mecca. Exactly. <laughs> it used to be that way at Comic Cons that each of the major publishers would actually have like a little city. You know, they'd mm-hmm. have 10 booths that they grouped together into, they had their own big, uh, uh, Quonset hut <laughs> and they gathered all their people there and they and that's where you'd you'd go and meet everybody you know what i mean it wasn't individuals on artist alley and stuff like that it was the entire dark force staff or marvel or dc or image or whoever it was at the time and that was wonderful so chicago still does that they have a big presence from major publishers i guess and stuff like that yes uh this year and last year well the last time they did it was um 2020 march uh, yeah um and those two um marvel and dc weren't there and they normally oh. are um but uh so like some more minor publishers got their spot which i thought was kind of cool okay. um aftershock uh awa and source point press which is actually ohio based they're local they're from canton um they all kind of got the space up front that marvel and dc normally had which i thought was really neat like a uh aftershock brought every comic they've ever published all there even out of print stuff and i was kind of going a little crazy i was trying not not buy trades but i was like oh i want some of these right if you're trying to get current and you don't want to find every one of the last 36 issues the trades are the right no for filling okay So yeah, it was cool. Um, it was the the convention's massive. I only got to see the show floor, but there were two other floors of things going on. They had six different uh like event hall rooms that they were doing panels and uh talks and discussions in, and then they had like kind of like a party hall underneath <laughs> the show floor where like people would go and play like D and gaming and then in the evening after the show floors closed they would do raves and like That's like cool. hangouts and club stuff so did um, you get to any of the talks or anything because this oh god no i had to, oh no i had to work the whole time you know and when i wasn't working i wanted to spend money so this sounds a lot like an RG, you know. It yeah. kind of, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> you know, it it's an RG if there also was, you know, three hundred comic book shops right in the same area, which sounds like a great at. RG. <laughs> I agree. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you, those I loved going to those. I always went to you know Chicago Comic Con before Wizard World bought it, and I guess this is a reply to that that it's 
it's not what Wizard World has become. As you said, it's kind of celebrity-based. And what are the professional wrestlers doing here? You know, that kind of well, stuff. They, they, <laughs> they had wrestlers there, too, and there were some okay. uh, celebrities. Like Hayden Christensen was there. Okay. Um, and, uh, the oh, gosh, the guy who was the one big bad in, uh, in Breaking Bad, and he also is in The Mandalorian. He's the uh, je- uh, gr- uh, Moff, uh, oh, yeah. Moff Gideon. There we go. Exactly. It, it, it's a uh, Hispanic gentleman. What's his name? Yeah. Um, really good. He's got that yes. great, like, you don't know when he's going to break into violence. He's very calm, and he, like, orders people's deaths as if he's ordering, you know, a, a burrito or something like that. So. Yeah. He He's great. But they were, like, the two big movie people, and then there were some more. There were a bunch of voice actors and stuff, but really, the focus was put on Artist Alley with the comic book creators. Nice. There was a great lineup this year i was going nuts um kim seeley was there uh amanda connor and uh jimmy palamati um often collaborate exactly well their husband and wife oh honestly i never knew that trivia question (laughs) really (laughs) that's wild I guess Jenny, a, a deeper collaboration than I knew. <laughs> yes, Jenny, Jenny Friesian, um, who was really nice. She had like this bright, like like electric purple hair. I, I could describe it as. It was okay. really cool. Um, Ryan Parrot and Kyle Higgins were best known for their Power Rangers stuff, and they're creating a superhero universe for Image. I was kind of losing my mind about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles Sewell, one of my favorite writers. Um, Rob Liefeld was there, but I didn't really care. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny. He made a big contribution, but his time is kind of past. And he also, from, I don't know, what, whatever the various different ways the comic book people gather to communicate, he has not always been pleasant. And sometimes, no matter how good your work is, that can turn the crowd against you. You know what I mean? If you're just a little bit too arrogant or too much of a jerk or whatever else it might be, and his reputation is not good. He really might be a really nice guy in person, but He's put things in print to read forever that really are not good. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I am not much of a fan of his art and yeah. I have a habit at my store of kind of crash talking him a little bit because it's fun. Okay. Um, you know, the whole no feet thing and everything. Right. But I do appreciate uh, I, it when a comic book is still like 22 pages of story and art, not four different two page splashes. So it's like a poster book instead. Because he was well known for that, you know what I mean. Yes. Just all of a sudden, it, well, it, <laughs> and they were there was, pages usually, but they were like, "Wow, this isn't advancing the plot enough." <laughs> oh, um, well. sorry, Rob. Watch, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, I had to watch what I said because he's known for getting people kicked out of conventions if they say anything negative about his stuff. How? Who wow. has the power to do that? Go to hell, I have Rob. no idea. You know, yeah, okay. it's a free country. <laughs> Just don't express your opinion yeah. here. Yeah, it's dude, I stalked him or something ridiculous. You know? No, oh. I just, I just okay. stayed away because I, I, I would have a hard time not being a smart ass. Um, okay. uh, but the artist alley was wild. It was. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, you guys go ahead. I gotta grab this. Sorry. Okay. Um, it was uh literally 26 rows A to Z with like a dozen people in each row. And not everyone was like top level comic book creator. There were a lot of indie people there too. Yes. Um my dad's uh friend Tom Zoller, who's done some art for him, he's commissioned him a few times, was there. We used to uh, see him at pub quiz like every month, 
you know it, yeah it, exactly so, <laughs> okay yeah so it was cool it was it was a really nice wide range of creators and they did a good job of not being like okay all the triple a's are here and then the rest of it's all everyone right. Here, here's the, uh, the jv squad or whatever you want to call it right exactly. it was okay. all intermixed you know like the 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 heavy heavy hitters like lee feld and amanda condor and palamati they were up in the a category but um everyone else was mixed in tim steely was in like e or something so like it was okay. it was a good mix of top level comic creators and um other indie artists which i think was really cool yeah artist alley is always a very dangerous place for me because i tend to like go down the line and say what are you working on and sure i'll buy a copy and you do that from <laughs> a to z and all of a sudden you've got you know plastic bags where the plastic is cutting into your fingers because they're too heavy and all that kind of stuff yes i just i really like seeing people's new work supporting people that are giving things a try you know so over and especially then when you see them year after year and and i'm, I'm recognizable enough you know, I remember, remember <laughs> me by name but they'll be like hey and you start to have a nice rapport with catching up on okay here's the, the next uh, that's how we got to know ted sakura was that i discovered apama early and didn't just like let him peddle his wares to me we actually had a conversation about wow the artwork a lot like john busema and 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 if anything we we try to have a conversation where you know, like when you show that you know a little bit of what's going on that you're not just new to the thing but that you've been around for a while and you you just you ask intelligent questions you let you give them a chance to talk about what what they love about the field and stuff like that i've had really nice conversations with people that you know we didn't know each other from adam but immediately you're both fans and if you do it that way, that it's not just please sign this so I can put it on eBay, but you know, tell me, tell me more about what what music you listen to while you're working. It just it, you take it to a different level, and then they kind of don't want you to leave because so many yes. other interactions are, you know, handshake, sign this. It's it's much more shallow, if you will. Right. And so, that's that's what I told the kids when we went to New York. I did get a, a thing to see Stan Lee uh, because Colin was twelve. He was excited, you know. Sure. But I mean, it was like $150. We stood in line for how long, Colin? Like two hours. And, yeah. And it was shuffle, 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 you know? And literally there was like the, the bodyguard you had to hand the book to, and then you shuffled to the right in front of Stan, and Stan signed me, never even looks up. Colin's like, oh my gosh, I love you. I love to meet you. The kid's like, great, kid. And they shuffle, shuffle. Oh, Colin's still kind of like, this is great. What about this? You know, take the book and walk away. Nobody yeah. remembered it. <laughs> but we got to meet, and I've mentioned this before, uh, Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca, and Chewbacca. we talked to him for like 20 minutes, him and his wife. His wife's like as tall as Colleen, and he's like six inches taller than you. So, I mean. <laughs> Sitting down, he was taller than me when I was 12. That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, Stephen, you and I have talked about this before. Maybe you had some of this, Colin. Like, because I tend to not only like the most popular stuff, but I like the odd stuff. Sometimes, like while everybody is over visiting with Aiden Christensen or something like that, you get a chance to talk to, and, and I'm going back to the past here, I was there when Gene Colan was there, and nobody was either recognizing him or his, they, like, how can you not? This guy, like, he, did, he did Daredevil. He, he did so much great Tomb work. Dracula. Uh, Tomb Dracula, absolutely. And, and I loved the fact that maybe, you know, if nobody recognizes Martin Nodell, creator of green lantern yeah <laughs> i get to talk to him for a half an hour instead of the just shuffle along thank you i love your work type thing so i hope you had some of those experiences as well you know it, yeah it, 
I I got to meet um so most of the creators that I got stuff signed from it was a little too busy and I was kind of rushing around because I only had an hour or two yeah, to, to look around and do stuff. And then go back. Right, yeah. right. But um Jim uh Calafiori, he's he's a fairly obscure artist. He's done a lot of stuff, but a lot of it's like fill-in issues for various things. Interesting. Um okay. I love his work because he did um with Charles Sewell run on red lanterns specifically the run when guy gardner and supergirl were red lanterns and yeah. that run i think is one of the most underrated runs i've ever loved uh, ever read I, I love it to bits and califiori did um like the back half of the the series okay. uh the art for it and um so i was i was getting stuff signed and he's like no one ever talks about red lanterns I'm like, it's one of my favorite series of all time. He's like, I, it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. I am so glad someone's read it. And I ended up Perfect. buying a, a beautiful splash page that he did for the series. Um, and I, I, wa- I walked in the con at wanting to buy a page, ended up walking out with two big spreads and a uh, single page. So yeah. I think I made out that way. But yeah. we talked for about 10 minutes about the run and he gave me his email and he's like, hey, uh, I want Wonderful. you to send me a picture of your Green Lantern collection. Very so cool. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's it. You know, that, like you said, you know, now he's made that connection. So the next con, you know, it, it's it's uh, this is getting a little uh, off the topic, but I've told the kids don't close doors and do things like this because. Now Colin can send those pictures and he has a dialogue with this guy. And if he's like, Hey, I I need some advice and you'll get it. You know, it's those little things. And when some, he says, Hey, I just wrote this comic. You know, I'm I don't, I'm not looking to sell it. I'm not looking for you to tell me what to do. I just thought I'd send it to you because I like you. That's what you did Colin with your cryptid stuff. You just made those lists. And suddenly he was being asked to talk places and it led to other things. There's my rant. It goes along with my talk I've been doing. I can't help it. Sorry. Oh, that's great. In fact, I really do agree with that. Now that I've spoken at a couple of Comic-Cons, it's really cool when you have a little speaker badge and then they say, what are you talking about? And so it'll be like, well, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, female archetypes in comic books or Mad Magazine. And they'll go, I love Mad Magazine. And then you've got an off, you know, a, a nice opening. And I've never been in the field, but I know a lot about this from having loved them for 60 years. And so it's it's very cool that I'm by being someone that is doing something peripheral to the field at least now you kind of have a little bit of i'm with you instead of i'm only on the outside and i don't know one uh, who was it doesn't matter uh that actually had come to see one of my talks and he very nicely commented you really know your stuff why aren't you doing this more i said well i'm i'm kind of just breaking it in i haven't been doing it at comic cons because comic cons stopped for a while anyway it's um when i get a chance like like i said i you know it's this podcast is a little bit about name dropping i've had wonderful <laughs> conversations with jim Steranko and jack kirby and like giants in the field because of a little bit of what i talked about when you say like colin said you know everybody knows about um Steranko's work on um wow uh agents of nick Sheep. fury oh, and the nick cover fury, of all exactly that all those incredible he did that i didn't know that yeah sorry but i had to make your of x-men like before Neil Adams took over. And so it's kind of cool when, and then when you say, well, I really love those two and they will often say, Oh, 
I loved doing that. You know, I kind of did a favor for a friend because they were between artist writer teams. And so they said, go wild, do whatever you want. And it's it's very cool to be able to drop that little obscure reference because that way they know that you really, so for instance, when you, uh, for the listeners, the Red Lanterns are cool because, you know, everybody knows about Green Lantern. At one point, the um, mighty minds at DC said, you know, there's a whole Roy G. Biv spectrum of different colors that there probably should be green lanterns and yellow lanterns and blue and all that kind of stuff. And they kind of assigned them to various different emotionalities, right? You know, so the red lanterns are all about, thank you, Pooh, all about rage. And so that's um, one of the, the reason that that's cool is, you know, all the superheroes that uh, have to continually control themselves because they're too powerful and could really bust things up if they lose it. Well, you named a couple that if Supergirl kind of goes mad, it's not good for the rest of the universe. <laughs> and anyway, you know what I mean? So right. it's it's cool when you get to tap into why they loved working on what they did, that it wasn't just, hey, it was a job and I got my paycheck, but they really, they are also big Green Lantern fans. They want to see your collection. That, that's a really cool catch. You know and, what I mean? It's also, you start finding out the ones that really are fans and love it and are an artist and able to get into it in that way, but still are fanboys and the ones that, like you said, just do it for the job because right. you'll talk to them and like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I haven't really read any of that, but I do my pictures. You want something signed? Okay. Don't talk to me anymore. And you get those. And it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Anymore. I'll, I'll tell you, there's some people that are really wonderful at convention. You know, George Perez is now ailing. He's got pancreatic cancer and we're not going to have him for much longer. I remember him being at cons where he, he's a very quick artist, but perfect. And so everybody would like, hey, could you draw this? Oh, he, and he's drawn everybody because he did those big like Avengers, JLA crossover issues and stuff. And there's any number of times where someone would say, hey, could you draw like Ghost Rider? And he'd be like, well, I never drew him. But he'd do a perfect Ghost Rider because he just had this encyclopedic comic book <laughs> mind of he, he knew everything. Right. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, that's another, especially for writers. It's often a more like a scholarly discussion because you're kind of talking about the act of writing and stuff like that. But artists are continually sketching and, and showing off a little bit. It's very cool to see someone be able to do a perfect Nick Fury just sitting down there and hands it to you. And, and of course, some people started to charge for them. And yeah. that's, I don't know, I, I am from the old days when it was, thank you for being at the Comic-Con. I'm happy to have you as a fan. Here's a free sketch instead of 20 and 50 and $100 dollars. And yeah. it's become, in some cases, quite mercenary. <laughs> I'm right. not sure. I, you know. <laughs> I, I will say, though, you know, a lot of those people then who would get it would then turn around and sell it themselves. And, that you know, with changed. the artists yeah. kind of right. getting screwed right. by the big companies for uh, kind of the rights of what they've done. Oh, you know, I, I think right. charging for a quick sketch, I, I really don't ever have an issue with it. Yeah, it's, it's it's there's some of them, though, like that Captain America movie from the 70s or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that, that the actor was at a Comic Con. I obviously nobody recognized him because nobody remembered that movie from 50 that years movie. ago. And he's there and I'm walking by and I'm looking like Captain America. Who's this? He's like, hey, you want to come and talk to me? There's free. And I'm like, OK, yeah. How you doing? He goes, well, it's 50 bucks. Well, screw <laughs> that. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Oh boy! And they oh, stuck boy. him at that Comic Con right next to one of the Golden Age artists who did Captain America. Did they I I did a lot of the finishes? And I'm like, well, why? Yeah. yeah, there's a link of some kind. Okay. So, yeah. Colin, you got some really cool books in your hand uh, while you were there. 
talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Here you go, Alan. So, <laughs> Friday, the, uh, or sat, uh, sorry, Thursday, the first day we were there, the day we were setting up, um, we got the booth mostly put together. And then my uh, boss was like, I just have to put the wall book back up and figure it out. And he's like, that's a one person job. If you want to look around, you're more than welcome. And I'm like, okay, bye. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I zipped away and I was walking around. And so I came into the con with the intention of only buying Green Lantern stuff. I wanted to get a page. I wanted to fill a couple holes of my keys. And I wanted to find a low grade, affordable golden age Green Lantern issue. Okay. Um, I accomplished most of those goals. Um, so I was looking at the booths that, you know, they had boxes of stuff that I could afford, but they also had, you know, comics that were several thousand dollars or more. Up on the wall. Um, exactly. Okay. Right. Right. Well, I got to see um, a 0.5 complete, but completely detached and everything copy of Detective Comics 27. Fantastic. Um, origin of batman exactly I'd, wow. I'd never gotten to see that before i was really excited about that Very cool. and and then that one sold didn't it colin right after C3? that one did not no oh, okay. I, um so one of the other booths that i saw they had in the display case and i'm probably forgetting some this little this the big like like eight foot long display case that said on auction at our website here um 7.0 highest graded ever superman number one which was wow. the one that sold at like during the con like the auction ended it went for 2.65 million wow um captain america comics number one at a three five um they had an action one at a two two and a half restored um, which I'd not seen any of those books before either. Right. Physically, so I was like, oh my god! Yeah, without within touching distance. That's very cool. right. Exactly. Um, Wiz Comics two slash one. You know, it's complicated with that. You know, okay. first Shazam. Um, uh, Detective Comics twenty nine, which is the third Batman. They right. had that at a six, which is insane okay. grading wise. And for those of you listening that don't know comic grading um you get them in these big plastic slabs and they're graded on a scale of uh one to ten uh well 0.5 to yeah, 10 zero, yeah with, zero to ten if you will yeah <laughs> right nine eight being the most reasonable that you can get with a modern book at perfect condition nine 9.9s and tens exist but they're really rare even with brand new books right off the press right um so seeing some of these old comics at crazy grade still sure. and you the know that's just, they are the, the more valuable they are especially yes. anything that's old that has survived 50 60 70 years and somehow not been turned into a placemat not you know had the doggy yes. or something like that you know so yes. okay um the coolest book for me that i saw um was at the booth with all these crazy ones the guy was really nice we were chatting for a few minutes about stuff he's like oh well, what do you collect and i'm like Green Lantern wearing a Green Lantern hat and a Green Lantern mask and a Green Lantern shirt with right. a Green Lantern ring on. I'm like, I was really trying to convey what I was into there. Exactly. What's your guess? Um, exactly. <laughs> but um, I'm like, Green Lantern. He's like, oh, well, you know, I have one, two, and three. And I'm like, oh, cool. I was thinking he was talking about the Silver Age volume with Hal Jordan. No, he had one, two, and three of the Golden Age stuff, which was wow. Alan Scott from the 40s. 
and he he's like you want to see him and i'm like yes <laughs> so he, he brought him out and i'm looking i'm like oh my god and um he's like you want to hold the number one <laughs> Isn't that a weird yes. thing? But yes, you know, it's like of I promise not to like spontaneously vomit on it in excitement. Right. Well, it was in like it was in like two bags and boards and then a thicker mylar thing and then and then in a top loader. So it was protected. There was like like an inch and a half of plastic between me and that comic. Right. But I, I was holding it and he's like, you, you know what? Give me your phone. I'll take a picture of you with it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I have a picture of me holding it right next to my face. With a massive funny. smile that's hidden by my uh, mask. But that was really cool. Um, no one had an All-American 16, which is the first appearance of Alan Scott, the original oh, Green Lantern. Alan Scott is exactly the origin. Yeah. Okay. But there's only, I think, like 30 known in existence. So yeah. that was a bit of a long shot. That is one of the cool things about, you know, again, for those who aren't necessarily comic book collectors, you know, there's grading services now that that do this um, verified grading so that everybody can really agree this is the condition that it's in and therefore this is the value. And one of the things that they've had come out of the data they collect is, well, these are the books that are really not only valuable because of condition, because of rarity. Like mm -hmm. if we know that there's only 30, there was things back then were in the print runs of the hundreds of thousands, but they got chewed up in the paper drive. They got read by kids, and kids aren't aren't uh, gentle necessarily. And so to find out that there really are only thirty copies out there, and like you're saying this seven point is the best known existing copy. It, I don't know people nowadays in this world of easy copying of everything digital to go back to atoms and to go back to there's really provable scarcity. That's that's still a very interesting thought for people to get their minds around that it's not custom. But it sure is scarce. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> so I I if kind of it felt like I was going through a museum. I was seeing all these crazy pieces of uh, comic book history everywhere. Um, the other cool thing is there were uh, a couple people that had pages of original artwork that that's all they dealt. Um, so there was there was one place called Anthony's Comic Art and Rare Comics or something like that. Um, they had easily a thousand binders of comic art ranging wow. from like the fifties to now. Okay. Um, it was, was amazing. It wasn't hard to find that stuff. So if you were into that early, you really could accumulate that incredible mm -hmm. collection just by going to a con and saying, I don't know. So how did they used to work it? Certain publishers did, they held on to the art. Others returned it to the artist. And so artists would be selling their own stuff at cons for like five bucks a page or something like that. You know, that was the way of getting a little bit more money. Maybe I underguessed. I don't think it was ever five, but 10, 20, 50, 100 compared to what it's worth nowadays was yeah. still an incredible bargain to be able to buy into something that now has become um, more rare. And especially the original art really is a wonder. You know, this is yeah. the page <laughs> that this guy yeah. drew that became the splash page for Fantastic Four number 48 or something like that. You know, that like, wow. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, Fantastic Four number 48 is the coming of Galactus, if I remember correctly. Yes. And so, <laughs> you know, that's one of those things that everybody wants that image because Kirby did so many great iconic images. And to have like, this is the, this is the, what do they call it back then? Not bristleboard, whatever it was. You know, it's, it's bigger than a comic book page. It usually was, you know, like the blue and white little squares around it, however they work. It's it's cool to get that insight into what they did to make it then 
become a comic book and like penciled instead of ink so you can really see this is what came out of jack kirby's head that's just amazing (laughs) so anyway i (laughs) got to see an actual kirby page while i was there um i was uh i didn't get to look at it for super long because um it was it was one of those booths that all they they had like three binders of art and that was it and it was all stuff in the tens of thousands of dollars right they were nice enough to let this kid look through them right but there were actual customers coming and looking at stuff and i'm like okay i probably should walk away but it was a page from hunger dogs which was kirby's big finale of his fourth world saga exactly um and it was really cool it had um it had some of the minions of dark side on it and then it, it was i think it was the page when the building collapses on orion right at the beginning of the story okay um so it was really cool and i it was an especially cool page because this was in the 80s right at the end of kirby's time as a main artist on comic you know after that he really just kind of did concepts and stuff every once in a while he'd do something but this was something that not only did he pencil himself but he inked himself too which was rare oftentimes kirby would pump them out so fast you would have right. to have two or three inkers just to get the book done. That's right. Like Mike, um, Mike Royer, there were certain people that really worked a lot with him. Uh, yeah. Jeff, Vince Coletta yeah. did a lot of the stuff right. in the uh, exactly. late 60s and 70s, and I don't yeah. like his inks. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're too thin, and he would cut out stuff. He would lose a lot of the detail that Kirby would put in. Okay. Um, there was actually this project going on right now. Some people have Coletta inked pa- Kirby pages. Um, and what they're doing is they're using um, microscopes and kind of, um, I, I want to say x-ray, but I don't think it's actually x-ray technology to try okay. to find the erased pencil marks wow. to try to figure out what Kirby put there that Coletta skipped. Um, See, I know that they've done that for like famous painting. You know, when they find out mm-hmm. that this fresco is falling apart and they want to fix it, recreate it, they do all that x-ray tomography is not quite the right word but yeah. you know what i mean this the spectral analysis and the fact that it's not only for rembrandt paintings but for comic book pages is a really cool thing that people really want to see what was going on with Kirby. that sometimes his work was bettered most often worsened by whoever his inker was. you know so that's very cool and i love that they're using the tech nowadays to do that type of stuff you know yeah. it's like those tv shows where they drain the ocean and things that used to be there archaeologically and they recreate it and you look at it through ar and you yes. see it. You know, i love that stuff. so um the, 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 my favorite page that i did see though was a cover was the cover for green lantern 56 from the silver age it was a gil Kane cover and it okay. had it still had the plastic uh stuff they used for the letters and everything so like had the the dc yeah, logo and, tone for various different things and that like, yeah, it's, yeah oh my god okay and, so um, anybody was, on the cover leaning back so you can look up his nostrils because that's my characteristic thing about gil kane art is how many guys were the nostril shot <laughs> no it, anyway. was, it was there was this big purple face monster that was like grappling with uh hal jordan on the cover that's what it okay. was okay um but he had but a tentacle really up cool. his nostril. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was really cool. And um, I was like, can I just look at it closer? Because it was on the wall. 
and yeah. she, and the lady that was helping me because that was the place that I bought the couple pages I have. Um, the lady that was helping me was like, "Yeah, it's free to look," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was really interesting. Um, it was it was a great time. I ended up finding a good chunk of the Green Lantern key issues I needed, which I was I'm very glad for. Um, I got the first Guy Gardner, which is issue 59 of Green Lantern, which is a book that's going crazy right now because of the TV show. I got the first Silver Age appearance of Alan Scott, which is something that I was really hunting for because it's also going to go crazy because of the TV show. Yeah, That's uh, yeah. Showcase 55. Um, Okay. Uh, first black hand number uh green lantern 29 so i was really i i, I i'm miss I, I i'm only missing four keys now and then i'll have every key of green lantern since the silver age that's fantastic i mean it you know because i was buying all along i don't know that i actually had to fill in my collection that much since like the mid 70s that's not mm-hmm. I, I was buying then from people i always got everything current but already back then, I was filling in all the Daredevils I had missed, all the Thors, all the X-Men, all, you know, and I, as I, I, I was more of a Marvel than a DC fan in terms of wanting to go back and fill things in. But man, how many Comic-Cons? And I don't know, nowadays, you don't do it on paper, but I used to have this little list that was, you know, all my wants. And of course, it got folded and put into my pocket so many times that it starts to fray at the folds, you know what I mean? So, and, but I'd go through the boxes and pull things out. It might be that now when, once you're looking for keys, you're not necessarily hunting through boxes. You're looking at the wall. You're looking yeah. at very select things. And so it's not so much the, the treasure hunt in terms of finding them. It's more like, wow, this is money. Am I going to invest in? So good mm-hmm. for you. And that's really cool. Okay. I actually, I, I um, wrote out because I, I didn't know how well the internet was going to be um, mm-hmm. at the con. So I had a, a little note that I wrote every key I was missing in the market price for each grade. Um, so I would, I would be in there prepared and I wouldn't be like, Oh, I don't remember if that's a fair price for it or not. I would be able to tell and be able to negotiate easier. I had exactly the same thing. What back then it was the overstreet kind book price. Right. There wasn't the, but I remember that was the boy, you know, I didn't grow up in Morocco. And so I didn't learn about how to haggle at a bazaar. Where did I learn to haggle at a comic con? You know, where you'd be like, okay, yeah, there's like four things I want to buy, and the total is like 56 bucks. Can we bring it down to 50? And how many times the guy was like, sure. It's like, wow, I can just ask and he gives me six bucks, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. It was the first time I felt kind of like an adult, you know what I mean? I still don't feel like that most of the time. What's fun is. What, what's fun is when I'm trying to do the haggling, if I got the exhibitor badge that I did on, okay. they oftentimes would give me a little bit more of a break, nice. which yeah, was nice. Cool. Yeah. Doesn't that yeah. sound like some sort of game, you know, where you have your certain comics and what other people want and you're haggling and trading money? I mean, it sounds like a, a game we'd play. <laughs> you know, I, I know there's been times, but maybe like that, the gamify, it was like, you know, I'm getting ready to buy something and I'm, I'm about to haggle with the guy. And then somebody next to me says, if he doesn't buy it, I'll take it. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I guess I don't have much bargaining room now. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's ready to snipe me. You know, guy, right here, physically. He's probably a, a, a plant. He just sits yeah. around. Every time someone wants to haggle, he goes up and says and that. I, 
I honestly, I never thought of that. That's probably what it was that he had a troll. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> See, I, I hate haggling. Uh, it's just my DNA, my upbringing. You know, my mother would never make it in any of those Middle Eastern bazaars. But yeah. I, I, I'm like, oh, you want that much? Okay, here you go. I'm, I'm you know, it's so hard for me to haggle. I, honestly, it wasn't easy. It was just kind of an experiment. When it worked, then it encourages it. But you know where I don't haggle? Like, Colleen and I have been, maybe we went on a cruise and got off of Cosima, and everybody else was bargaining. And it's like, man, if there's anybody that needs money more than I do, it's these folks. I'll buy the T-shirt for what you're asking prices. I'll buy the, the little right. knickknack. It just didn't occur to me to try to, to get them down when it's like, that's less food for their kids? No, here, <laughs> have right. more food. So what a, when, I'm sure that's a very, like, white Western attitude. And yet that's how I feel is that I've been blessed with, having enough money well, to go on a cruise why am i and, trying to get these guys down you and know? i'm not, <laughs> not saying this is across the board not saying it's everybody you know i know there are issues and there are differences in countries i, I i've been on a ship i worked and you know i was there at the bars that were run that you know so i understand all of that but the cool thing with today's world is a lot of those people they do that it's a side hustle because they go home and they run three businesses off their phone <laughs> and they do it while sitting there waiting for somebody to buy a conch shell. So right. I, I'm not saying it's everybody. And I know there's some no. that still do it and struggle just to make a little money, but there's a big change in the world with some of those things. Yeah. So, I, I know I've had people I didn't mind haggling with because they seemed shady. You know what <laughs> I mean? When somebody's asking too much for like, a, a, a cock shouldn't cost that much. How about I offer half that because he has it marked up because he knows people are going to ha- try to haggle him down. So you just kind of play the game by the rules instead of being the 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 idiot, the, right. the victim that's waiting to be fleeced. Right. Anyway, so uh, any anybody that you were surprised to see there, you know what I mean? Uh, was it was there any? I like I, I imagine that the build up to it is they publish those big artist lists and you know who you're wanting to seek out. Was there anybody that was like, oh, I didn't know you're um, working on this now or working for a different company now? Any any big surprises? Um, I think the biggest surprise was that Jenny Friesian was there um, because C2E2, their website was having trouble before the show. Mm. So um, it wasn't completely updated and it wasn't completely accurate and everything. So that made it really difficult trying to bring stuff to get signed. Um, right. And their guest list was different from the artist alley list because I, I think what, what the guests were, were people they specifically asked to come or, and people like, like if they happened to have a booth in artist alley, they were given that instead of purchasing it. Whereas the artist alley list were people that purchased it. So you could have AAA creators who purchased a, a spot in artist alley that wouldn't be listed as a guest. And I didn't figure that out until after the fact. Right, I have, so you had to go A to Z to find everybody because there wasn't yes. a list. Okay. All right. I, 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 had <clears throat> a, I have a Department of Truth number one, which is my favorite comic going on right now. Okay. The uh, Tinian Shop exclusive variant cover that he signed because I supported him on Substack um, and he sent it to me. Um, that's a crazy expensive book it's going for like 500 bucks on ebay wow. um but uh i have enough out of the field now it's like ooh, substack ooh, you know mike Tinian. I, like <laughs> I, I know some of what you're saying but it's like wow i'm no longer encyclopedic i can't keep up if i'm not everyday buying you know what i mean james so. <laughs> james Tinian's one of the big writers right now he did batman 
uh, Department of Truth, Something's Killing the Children. Um, like I just read crazy. a whole bunch of those via Hoopla or Comixology or something like that. I caught up on my such a good book, such a oh, good yeah. book, absolutely. But um, Frisian did the variant cover of it, and I want to get her to sign it and Martin Simid, the interior artist, to sign it. Then I want to send it off to CBCS to get graded. Um, but I didn't know she was going to be there, so I didn't bring it, and I was kicking myself the whole show. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Substack, have you heard of Substack? I think you'd get a kick out of it. No, I have not. Okay. Um, do you know, basically, you know Patreon, right? Yes. So it's kind of like Patreon, but instead of like having a variety of tiered rewards and stuff, it's um, you pay monthly or a year and you get weekly or mul multiple times a week newsletters from your favorite writers and creators. Just That's kind of cool. the, in the original intention was like their thoughts and ramblings or like excerpts from what they're working on and stuff. Yeah, a little access to them that the public doesn't have, if you will. You know, exactly. like all the bonus behind the scenes dvd stuff <laughs> yeah exactly well earlier this year substack spent a buttload of money like a ridiculous amount handing out grants to comic book creators like top level people um uh brian, brian michael bendis brian k vaughn um chip zadarsky uh um like, a, my life. A, very good okay <laughs> yeah scotty young uh like like okay. it Scott Snyder, if you think of a high-level comic book creator, odds are they at least got reached out to by Substack. And like, here's a bunch of money. Um, this is to pay the artists or pay for what you need to make comics on our platform. They are not Substack comics. They are the creator's own comic. Okay. They can reprint them at the exact same time physically with whoever they want. They can literally do anything they want with the comics and they have full rights of it. Substack just wanted to draw people to the um, program. And James Tinian said, hey, um, so I'm going to be doing this. I will be doing every other week a, an exclusive Department of Truth story on Substack. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, you have my money. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and just that, getting like real, you know, it's not like, someone writing in their diary is not real content but to be producing something that is their work yes. is a new department that's very attractive he's, i would love to have those kinds of things okay so every friday every other week he does a department of truth uh wild fictions and kind of what it is and i've been loving it is case files of the paranormal thing that okay. the department of truth has shut down um the like popola <laughs> popa ideas and stuff and okay. what's really cool is they're taking real paranormal stuff and mixing it into this world they've referenced people that i've done work with ben radford um uh uh greg um oh geez now i'm blanking on a name but people okay. i've i've been on stage with and and done talks Got with it. and i'm and like the so if they exist Yes. I'm like, if they exist in the Department of Truth universe, that means I exist in the Department of Truth universe. <laughs> but, um, and then the weeks that I told him to contact out, the creator and say, hey, I'm going I'm to. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. But, um, and then the other week that they're not doing that, he's putting out um, what he's called uh, Project Blue Book with Michael Avon Oming. It's a comic, straight up comic okay. that is 
um, true crime style storytelling with real life UFO encounters. Um, and Michael A. Bonowing work from Powers and stuff Powers, like that. And, yep. so, and, they, they, and I remember him and Bendis both talking about true crime is one of the things like when he did Jinx and various other things, that was how they got together. It wasn't about superheroes. It was about true crime mm-hmm. and then kind of applying that to superheroes. So anyway, very cool. So, okay. So Substack <laughs> sent, so so uh, he said, uh, Tinian, when he sent out the first newsletter, because I was already on his regular newsletter, saying, hey, I'm going to be doing this. Everyone that signs up the first day for a year subscription will get a free variant cover from his archives signed by him. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I signed up within 10 minutes of him sending the email out. That's right. Um, you know, so that was that, my gift. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, that sounds like MacArthur Genius Grant, or it sounds like the Medici's in, you know, Renaissance times. Like, like I, I know you're a great artist, a great creator. I don't care what you do. I just want you to not have to worry about the real world as much so you can devote your time to creating beautiful things for the world. You know, so that's a very interesting and noble thing for Substack to be doing. And of course, there's money involved, but it really is. I love that idea. I when boy, when I first started to make okay money, that's really one of the things I wanted to do was how do I free the people whose work I love from the shackles of got to make rent, got to get food. I really wanted to be a Medici and be able to say, and, and not in the way of, and now I control your work and it must be about the church. You know what I mean? It wasn't a matter of control. It was a matter of sponsorship and respect for people that, boy, they should make better music. They should make more music of the kind they make and not have to worry about too much of the real world. There's so, a lot of authors cool. that I know that use Patreon and Substack uh, yeah. to do those things. And there's another one, InfoStack, that they use and Medium. Okay. Uh, with and I contributed Fully. a lot through like Indiegogo and Kickstarter and various other crowdsourcing type things. But, but most of those are project-based, you know, kind of a one-shot. We'll right. I'll produce this in the next three months, six months, and you sponsor me in getting that done. The ongoing sponsorship is very interesting too. You know what I mean? It, that they can commit to... I am going to indeed put out a, a book a week, a song a week, a short story every two weeks, whatever else it might be. That's pretty cool. From the business standpoint, uh, a lot of the authors will get a list, you know, get their people. Then they'll do a Kickstarter and have everyone push it. And they get, I mean, they're probably going to make the book anyway, but this basically pays for it ahead of time. And then they still put it out. So it's like a normal book. But then they get all these people and they're like, hey, by the way, I have a Patreon that I give this. I have a Substack that I give this and they get those people signing up. So it's this continuous, uh, you know, because there's a web of things that are available like that at different levels, different different focuses. Okay. Right. Because the, the, not the general thinking, but the the group I'm usually around and the thinking goes that if you have a thousand fans that are like your biggest fans that love your stuff and that you can make a living off of that not gouging them, not, you know, <laughs> exploiting them, but that they're happy with what they get. You know, it's a, it's a win-win. They love the entertainment that you give them and you give them more and they're willing to, you know, give you those couple bucks and a thousand people giving you a couple bucks a month will give you a full-time living. That's the thinking. Yeah. So. I know I've read books and, and articles about, you know, what's the future of, I don't know, commerce, the internet. It's not about 
things necessarily, and it's, it's about experiences and access in a way that you separate yourself from the regular crowd. And it doesn't have to be um, VIP status. It really can be, wow, 100,000 people might give $10 to this. Like, I don't know, how did uh, Louis C.K. get rich? Because he sold the special for like five bucks, but, uh, you know, 200,000 people bought it, and suddenly he's a millionaire. That's kind of a cool multiplier effect. Right. You know what I mean? Not outrageously priced, so it's not really high-level access, but it is, wow, a little bit of popularity, a little bit of word of mouth, and you can, you can not only get money for that project, you can say, now I have a buffer, so I can work on what I really want to work on next, instead of always having to be, who's going to pay me to do this? And then there's concessions. There's uh, notes that are given you as to, oh, we don't like that word. You're going to have to take that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Colin, um, before we jump over to topic two, uh, what's your wrap up there for C2E2? Oh, it's a great show. If you're in the comics, you should check it out. There you um, go. Okay. I had a great time. I, I've on the drive. Been, and I can't believe it. I, in my mind, I always thought it was more of a toy and peripheral to comic go instead of being deeply comics, like you're saying, how did I not know that? I yeah, can't there, believe it. it Alan, there out, were, I left Chicago. There were, and so that's a big thing. I would, if I, I would have been in Chicago at the time, I would have gone. But now that it's a six hour drive, it's, there's a, an overhead associated with it, and I just didn't bother to investigate enough. You should go I to Chicago were. sometime, Alan. It's a nice city. It's a good place to visit. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> there were like a dozen people that all they sold were Funko Pop, and there were okay. some toy people too. But you know, it, I'd say that about half of the vendors were comic, mostly vendors. You know. Yeah. Um, paradise for which me. was That's great fantastic okay um there i mean i think there was a good mix of everything that made it a good show because okay. you know comic book people are into things that aren't just comic right. and i think this had a really good mix of that there was something for mo pretty much everybody and there was plenty for comic book people um so is it like a three or four day show how long does it run it ran it runs normally the weekend that it goes it runs friday to sunday Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And it generally is open like uh, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then a couple hours earlier, they close on Sunday so they can get all, everybody uh, out in time. To catch their flights uh, and pack their stuff up and everything. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I, on the drive home, I, I talked to Adam, my boss, and I was like, so what can I do to make sure I come next year? <laughs> See, exactly that if you're you know working the booth is a small concession to be there you're in the place yeah. you're on site every time yeah. you that's very cool okay um it where but, was it was uh, it in rosemont or downtown or mccormick place where was it it was the mccormick center okay got it okay because that that has um, huge exhibition halls and okay yes the dominican they basically there. we basically took up the the whole building i think was c2e2 Okay. Or at least the vast majority of the building. Yeah. Um, so this year was our best year, even though attendance was lower than normal, which was really cool. I told I told Adam that it was because I was there. <laughs> there you go. See, let, let that let that buzz around in his head for next year. So. Okay. All right, okay. So. Before you go, Colin, uh, we'll get you in on this too. Uh, jumping. And this is spoilers, so turn it off if you don't want spoilers. But Spider Man. <laughs> what what what'd you think alan so uh, yeah I, 
Boy, I loved it. Oh, man. Like, it was it so is awesome. really wish fulfillment if you're a fan not only of the movies, but of the comic book world, because it really does, like, some part of what I've been seeing for the multiverse is they get to get sloppy. They get to have any variation that they want and just say, oh, that's a different universe. In this case, it was beautifully done to have the different, and here's the biggest spoiler, the different Spider-Men yeah. and the different villains that have in the movies fought each of them and in the comic books a long history of that to integrate all that together so that it really was like a team effort of spider-man and to have all the sense of humor that marvel movies done and fantastic special effects you know the the incredible kinetic three web swingers going amongst you know here's the sand uh electric storm with a tornado and the buildings collapse the building the statue of liberty is collapsing with captain america just, shield exactly it just was fantastic and the way that it it so there was a, a while where spider-man was not well integrated into the marvel universe because he was sony instead of you know the marvel universe and now that they've done all the right things with the avengers to bring him in and these movies it was so true to everything that makes spider-man good that you know and i i it's not about his spider-ness it's about he's a decent guy and he's he's willing to make incredible sacrifices because sorry if i tear up you know that (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility and he actually acts like it instead of just saying and we talked about that yeah exactly It's, it's fantastic to see someone be heroic that isn't hey, I happen to be strong as a god, and so it's kind of easy for me to be heroic. But instead, he has so many problems in his life and so much difficulty he has to go through, and he still steps up. Boy, does the world need that. So, sorry. I, from from my viewpoint, and Spider-Man has always been my favorite. I mean, just hands down, when I was a kid to now, good, bad, whatever. I don't think they could have made the movie any better i i think they hit they did it just right they there's a lot of chances they could have screwed something up they could have made it horrible and i don't think they did uh now is it is it saying it's going to win every academy award and be in the, the number one film of the uh top 100 films of all time it's not meant to be uh but for a spider-man film it hit every point and it was done well they didn't have it was so many villains we've seen it before when there's that many villains, the story gets muddled and Absolutely. it sucks. They did not do that. They it was hit right on with three Spider-Men. It could have they could have really messed it up, but they 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 put in the story what fit each of them and worked together. It wasn't just right. cardboard cutout Spider-Man. It was the characters. It there was Absolutely. only one thing I'll talk about in a minute, but. There wasn't hardly anything of this. It was two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. And I I did not go, oh, my God, how much longer is this movie at all? Not a wasted moment, no drag time. Honestly, the fact that they got great actors to come back and instead of worrying about, like, how much screen time do I get? And, you know, kind of elbowing each other out of the way that they were so decent like Spider-Man to say in service to the story in service to I'm part of this universe that I was privileged to be uh, invited into, you know, to see Tobey Maguire come back after not having played Spider-Man for 15 years, 20 years. It's, it was just the coolest thing that people left their egos and all of the villains had art. It wasn't only 
hey, that's someone to Biff Bam Pow, you know, beat them up and they're leeringly evil, that there really was depth to the Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus and, and even the Sandman, you know what I mean? The, what, what's, what's his biggest motivation? To, to take care of his daughter. He doesn't, he's not a criminal just because I like to steal things. So I, that, again, Marvel has always been great about that kind of complexity and that humanizing both heroes and villains. And this movie just shines with all of that. Even now, Jameson for you know, like it's kind of funny. He might be the most villainous thing in the movie, and he's just a guy, but he's an obsessive, crazy, awful guy. Right. And the damage that he can do. You know what I mean? That it's not a matter of can you can you push over a building? No, but you sure can sully a reputation beyond beyond what anybody would think is decent. Right. So very, very yeah. well. Yeah. Colin and I disagree on the past Spider-Man and the past Spider-Man movies. Um, I didn't really care for Garfield as much. I did like Amazing Spider-Man 2. I thought it was a pretty good movie, but I, I never liked him as Spider-Man as much. I, I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. But I, again, I think that they upped the level of my awareness and appreciation of Garfield as Spider-Man in this movie, more so than they did in his separate movies. Uh, I think I've liked them all for different reasons. And yet I don't, I, I don't know that I have a favorite. It was just very cool to see what each of them brought to the role. And, And yet you're right. Garfield absolutely didn't. He wasn't like the lesser of the three Spider-Man. He actually, his version was important to the movie, the way that he acted anyway. The discussion, for instance, of who's got artificial web web, web yes! got actually like that's biological. It's like, ah, where does that come from? What yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah, that was so great because I mean that that's one of the things with Spider-Man is Peter is a scientist. He's smart. So that's why he built the web shooters. But then it's like, well, wait a second. Why the hell are you calling yourself Spider-Man if you can't make webs? Who cares if you stick the wall? You could have been sticky man or something. You know, it's it's it, it, it's that what do you do thing and you know people have discussed and argued so they covered it all in this with the changes to the spider-man and it it was done well colin Colin? yeah sorry we've been excluding you um no i disagree what are you saying yeah so i'm i'm gonna be i i liked it more than i thought i would going in because i really i do not like the toby mcguire movies I think they're lame. Um, I'm, I'm going to mute I, him. I, I'm turning him off right now. Well, well, okay. <laughs> no. I think my biggest problem with them is, I think Alfred Molina was a great Doc Ock. Um, yeah. I, I, I love um, the actor who plays Green Goblin. Defoe. I, Willem Defoe. Yeah, Will, Willem Defoe. I, but I don't like that suit, and I don't like really where they were going. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't the biggest fan of some of the stuff with him in that movie. I thought he was really interesting in the role, but I, I, I don't know. It just didn't work super well for me. And now, Toby let McGuire, me interject real quick. So you have grown up in an awareness state with Marvel MCU. So your expectations of superhero movies is completely different than like ours was. And, and um, I'm not saying you're wrong. Sure. But... But, but even as saw... a kid, I didn't like those movies. Okay, you know, when it was the only superhero movies I had. And that's fair. But I will say, um, they've the storylines for those movies. Looking at them now, they're maybe not holding up quite as well as they were twenty years ago, which is fine. But I did think I liked in this movie that they kept 
the outfits the same. They didn't update them. They, they this is what they well, then like. they did though. They did. He wasn't wearing. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't wearing the outfit after the first time. Well, the, he, right, right. Doc he Ock was got the red things. He know. had the hoodie and stuff, but you know, overall, yeah. they didn't try and update everything. And I think William Defoe as Green Goblin was fantastic. That the, they did really well in this movie bringing yeah. him out. They they did update him as a personality and character. He was better. He was great in the movie, and so and in the previous and, one, he wasn't as good. This movie, he was much more. Norman Osborn and yes. like mentally well, and that they really showed that if you're a sociopath, you don't have a revelation like Dr. Octopus does when his arms stop talking to him, that maybe he's really a decent guy and a scientist, and Green Goblin doesn't have any cure in that way. He really is multiple personality, nut, maybe megalomaniac. That shit crazy. Just, yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> um, all the more dangerous because he's so unpredictable because of or yeah, so like because of that. Yeah. Well, when I was seeing the trailers and everything, like I, there was nothing that was really getting me crazy excited. I don't care for the MCU movies because Peter in that seems he's he's Iron Lad. He's not Peter Parker. You know, he, it doesn't feel like him at all. Peter's always been very self-built. Um, you know, he's always stood on his own as his own character. And in the MCU movies, he's relied too much on Iron Man building his suit for him, giving him his web shooters, all of that stuff. And even when he did build his suit at the end of Far From Home, he used Stark technology for it. So I, I wasn't super pumped walking into the movie. I liked it more than I thought I would. I think part of my enjoyment of it was seeing Andrew Garfield in the role again, because I think he's the best Spider-Man we've ever gotten on, on live action. Um, and I thought he was a joy in this. They didn't change his character a whole lot. They, and I was worried about that. I was worried they were going to change him a bit to make him feel more in line with the more G shocks type of Peter Parker that the other two are, you know, cause he's always been weirder and a bit more rough around the edges than the okay. others. Um, but my favorite part of the movie, which really isn't much part of the movie Daredevil comes back, and I couldn't be happier about Charlie that. Cox I was losing my freaking exactly mind. That. That's the right. second he set down the uh, cane, I was like, oh my god, I know who that is. <laughs> and that's a great example of them really getting things right, because the Netflix Marvel shows have kind of been pushed off to the side and forgotten. They, they weren't as good as they could have been. There was things people would wish better about him. Now, that I think first season of Alias was fantastic. That yeah. is Jessica Jones. Sorry. I, yes. Oh, man. And <laughs> I think I think all three seasons of Daredevil. I, I have a very unpopular opinion, which is that Daredevil is the best live action comic book thing we have ever got, period, um, which I know is, is very against a lot of people's opinion. Well, but yeah. those those shows, I think, were good test grounds for what we're getting now on Disney Plus, because the stuff on Disney Plus is just over the top, really good, like movie quality stories and stuff. Good. The Hawkeye and, sequence was great. WandaVision yes. was great. Hawk, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Oh, my oh, God. We'll, we'll, oh, I don't, oh. we'll have to get back to Hawkeye. <laughs> Hold on. But so um, bringing the characters in to shows that, OK, we, we still know they exist. And I don't think their stories like mess up anything in the MCU. You know, I mean, they're they're kind of off on their own so they can bring that stuff in and bring those characters in. And now we have Kingpin 
uh, you know, there's our Hawkeye coming up. But they, they, they didn't, again, they didn't screw it up by putting long drawn out court battle and daredevil at court and all this stuff from it. He was in for two minutes. That's all we needed. Exactly. Just the taste of there. And actually I, I, what they did make perfect sense to me. If you're going to have the Avengers, where it's this big galactic menace, you don't have the guys that fight in hell's kitchen on the streets as necessarily part of that conflict. You know what I mean? There's different scales and different focuses for what the heroes are about. And when you're going cosmic, you don't drag in the guys who it's in a much more personal scale. So right. the the one time Daredevil went to space, he almost killed him and She-Hulk because they told him to press a red button and he couldn't tell which one was red. <laughs> That's a real comic book story. <laughs> so here's my this is my personal writer opinion. And I told Colin this and it's nowhere a criticism and nowhere saying this ruined the movie or anything. But from the writer point, I was thinking about the part where Mary Jane falls. Now, every movie has some girlfriend of Peter's falling off of something that he has to save her. He either does it and she dies or he does. Most of the time, he does it and she dies. So, you know, all you're all going, oh, my God, it's happening again, which is kind of like, come on, get something new in one way. But I think what they should have done is earlier in the movie. To make it that more drama is something about where she she does fall and he just catches her and she's like, well, what if you're not there to catch me? He's like, I will always be there to catch you know one of those typical Peter type of conversations okay. and right. and she's like really worried about it. You know, all these dangerous things are happening. What if you can't save me? Am I putting myself in danger? And now here we go to and then that would make her character a little better because she still chooses. To put herself in danger knowing that she has no powers and peter may not save her so there's that you know helping okay. her so then when she does fall and he can't reach her it's like oh my god it was foreshadowing there go kill mary jane and then garfield swoops in to save her probably something earlier with him of you know I, i've been unsure about being spider-man or something that fit his character he did. He said that stuff, though. Okay, so that would have fit perfect with him saving, and, you know, I, I, that's just the writer thing. Because yeah. so, he talked about losing Gwen and that lo- kind of lost hope with him right. with being Spider-Man. Exactly, so that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I thought that that was so much the movie the, about what the multiverse is about is all the possibilities that we make and that we create new universes when we do so, and that... In, in that set of multiverses, there's not just one reality where it's only tragedy, there's a chance for redemption. And so I thought that so much of them talking about how they've had Gwen's or Mary Jane's in their life, and they lived or they died, or they stayed together or they broke up, that they really gave each of those characters a chance to see not only their reality, but what would it be like, how wonderful it would be if I really did save her, that her neck didn't snap, or things like that. And so I thought that was incredibly powerful because it wasn't only about that movie in the way that you're talking about that regularly they could have set something up earlier in the movie. I thought they set it up from the entire array that, of that, movies. That's and I true. was very satisfied with, wow, they, they, they let him win. They, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think in the whole big action scene, it kind of lost the momentous, uh, as much attention as it could have gotten maybe. Uh, it seemed like they did it and it's over and they moved on without pointing out that, you know, the impact, maybe that was it as much. 
I can see that, you know, and I just, I, I, it's not so much an Easter egg. I just, one of the things I've always loved about comic books and that, that I get a lot out of is because I remember everything. And so when they bring a villain back that hasn't been around for a hundred issues, which is like, you know, eight years in comic book time, it's still very satisfying to be like, oh, this writer didn't forget about the molecule, man. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> you know what I mean? He said that, and I love when they make those references and have those long-term plans from some DC or Marvel getaway weekend where they say, we're going to lay the groundwork for this to be resolved six, not, you know, six movies from now, a hundred issues. Right. From now, and yet they really are good at building to that. And then for the people that are like me that, that get all the details, not all, of course, most of them, it's very satisfying to see. I, I, I kind of had a feel for that. I kind of saw that coming. It, it's nice when the puzzle comes together. You know what I mean? I love that. So, and, and you got you got to admit it, they did really well during the whole battle. First of all, the cap shield on Statue of Liberty was that's really right, great, a, a good <laughs> artifact to throw into the whole mix. Exactly. Yes, but then when the Spider Men aren't working together and things bad things are happening, it's like that's typical Peter. Things go wrong. But then when they're like, wait a second, we're individuals. We don't know how to work as a group. We need to. And they said, that's what we're going to do. And then they showed all three of them swinging, you know, oh, you got it. And then the scene where Spider-Man was up in front of the moon and he, it looked just like uh, the spider verse and he <laughs> went down that, I think that was their nod to miles. They did mention, well, there's gotta be a black Spider-Man somewhere, you know? And, and that, Jackson, that, that one thing I thought was missing was I really thought they were going to find some way to introduce the fact that in another multiverse, it is going to be miles Morales. Cause I thought they've got to be bringing that in and maybe right. The fact that they introduced the multiverse, they're going to let that stew for a while instead of being obvious about it. So. Right. And I, I, you know, I think it was fine without actually putting somebody, because if they put Miles in now, well, it might not even have a movie or be in another movie for five or six years. So if they get an eight-year-old kid, he's going to be 15. So you don't want to necessarily do that. Another thing I, I loved, they... So I don't know the name, I don't know the work of the two main writers of the movie. Like, you know, there's various other people that have contributed to all kinds of movies. These guys had not heard of them before, but they were very canny, kind of like Kevin Feige is. Is it Feige? Um, Feige. Feige, thank you. Overall, they just have a love and a feel for what makes the Marvel Universe cool. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man's fighting Doc Ock, and even though you said kind of Iron Lad, you know, a little bit too much to Stark Tech, but to see him come up over the wall with his own extended arms, yeah. now he's not only his limbs against Doc Ock with the extra limbs, that he's got his own set of extra arms too. I thought that was a really cool, yeah. that he. <laughs> and it was like so that. typical Peter, because then the car is getting beat around. He's like, sorry, ma'am, hold on, wait. You know, and it, right. you know, I, now, Colin, uh, what did you think of uh, Aunt May uh, getting hurt and dying? Oh, I didn't like that at all. I know you um, didn't. I necessary somehow, didn't it? Like they didn't. Well, have... I agree. It, my my whole thing with it was, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, we finally got the great power, great responsibility, Uncle Ben speech." And I'm like, "But if you remember the whole discussion about Spider-Man being brought into Civil War, everyone was like." Thank God we never got the great responsibility of Uncle Ben's speech. <laughs> and now people are celebrating that we finally got it in the wrong way. You know, I did not like it at all. I'm like, he's been Spider-Man for like four years already. He should have had that discussion four years ago. He can't already have been Spider-Man and had that 
because that's what makes him Spider-Man. It's just this dissonance that I really bugged me. And I kind of agree, and I agree with you, Al, that it was unnecessary. They didn't do anything to set it up. It was just like they seemed to do it to try and make it really dramatic. Uh, and actually, I you know I thought she was okay. I thought they're going to bring in the ambulance and she'll go away. And then the fact that she's actually injured internally, I guess, and is you know fading even while she's talking to him. I don't know. I I hope they find a way to bring her back, not in a Doctor Strange <laughs> universe way, <laughs> but and, that, and that's that's its own. I, I've had a number of people that say, you know, you guys are missing the whole point. Benedict Cumberbatch is in the movie. For those people, ladies, who are very much attracted, <laughs> you know, um, it was very cool to have Spider-Man bring in another major Marvel character, and, and that be kind of a, uh, a prelude to the multiverse of madness that we're going to see from Doctor Strange. I That whole idea of, you know, the multiverse is tricky because it's the butterfly wings thing, right? You don't know how much a little change over here is going to affect a whole bunch of other alternative realities, and now Doctor Strange is going to have to contend with that. that, that well, I'm looking forward to seeing what yeah. they do. Yeah. You know, it, it, I've always thought Doctor Strange was great because instead of being really grounded in reality, anything can happen, literally. And it's cool to see who keeps their head in a situation like that. While reality is shifting under your feet and there's big mouths with fangs floating in midair, you know, old Steve Ditko art, who has the mental toughness to be able to say, I can still cope with getting back home somehow, getting back to my reality. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. I agree. So, all right well hey we've been on like an hour and a half so that's about our our limit that people are like okay i'm enough of, done with these nerds <laughs> they, this was well, honestly thank you so much colin for all of your sure. do and especially for joining in, in the comic book discussion we often jump around multiple topics this might be one of the ones where we really focused and stayed with something because there was so much to talk about you know i i am so happy to be alive it really is the golden age now of comic books being made into movies because as i as i've done at any number of my lectures you just couldn't do it for a long time you didn't have the special effects you didn't have the costumes that didn't have the the obvious zipper you know what i mean the fact that you can really make superman fly and spider-man swing and thor bring down the lightning it's very very cool that i'm alive to see these things i've loved all my life become quotes real you know what i mean to see them very well portrayed and so i I will be at C2E2 next year. You know, COVID notwithstanding, we'll see what happens there. But It's going to be in August next year, just so you know. Oh, really? you mean my birthday month? Oh, no, what a yes. dangerous time. Like the first, oh, yeah. the first week in August. Times 100. Oh, no. no. <laughs> so, wait, before we go, I got two things. So, book of the week. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, knew this one. Our friend Tom Zoller, uh, he did the cover for my, my town magician and uh, you know, you've played trivia and stuff with them. Uh, yeah. Great artist. He was at C2E too. Exactly. Very yeah. cool. And so he's got a book out. Yes. Okay. So this is it. Cupid's, uh, Cupid's Arrow. It's okay. kind of a Men in Black X-Files type agency made up of the, the Cupids that uh, will shoot their arrows for true love for couples that are destined to change the universe. So it's not everybody. It's only ones that are in the book that list uh, the. So this is I did the Kickstarter. Uh, this is a thick uh, book that he did. He wrote. He drew hardback. Wonderful book. Um, so I'll put a link to that. Uh, you know, I love his stuff. This love or uh, Cupid's arrows. What was the other one he did? Loving capes. Exactly. Yeah, that, I, I that was. That 
fantastic. From Pub Quiz, because I met him at a Comic Con. It's like we know each other. Right. It's very cool, like when you see your teacher at the grocery store. You know what? <laughs> right. So. <laughs> okay, so I got a trivia of the week for you, Alan. Oh, let's let's see. Colin can chime in too. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of Christmas movies right now, uh, and one of the newer classics that's very popular is Elf. Uh, It's become one of those that people want to see every year, and it's a tradition now. Well, the head elf in Elf is Ming Ming, and the actor that plays Ming Ming was also in another very eponymous Christmas movie uh, in its time. Do you know who that was? So, So bear with me. We just saw Elf the Musical this last weekend at the Beck Center. I had Elf kind of come back into my consciousness, so I have maybe a little bit better shot. I'm trying to remember. Ed Asner played Santa Claus. Was it Bob Newhart? That no. Played? Okay, so I don't remember then. Head Elf. Yes. Uh, he he was in. Colin, do you know? He's a Jim yeah. Terry from Grinch. Yeah, I, I I do know. I overheard you telling people, so I'm not going to say. Oh, oh no, 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 I wouldn't I, have known if I hadn't heard you already. Okay. Oh. He's under so much makeup that I wouldn't be able to pick him out, even if I knew. Is he like he aged? Oh, you okay. wouldn't be. It, it's hard to tell because he aged. How about Macaulay Culkin, like from Home Alone, becoming this? You're no. getting warmer. Ooh. So Home Alone movies. Uh, let's see. How about Evan uh, from Kids in the Hall? I'm trying to think of the two the, band. Was it Joe Pesci? Was it? Oh no, that's a good one. Okay, no. he's, he's kind of elfin, if you will. Sorry, Joe. You know. Um. Okay. So further so, back than Home Alone, further back, like oh, it's further back. Okay, wow. Getting uh, warm. The, the getting kid warm. from Miracle of Th- on Thirty Fourth Street. Whoever that little little girl. Uh, That's a little too far. A little too far. Okay. So, okay. I'll, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you who it is, and it's wonderful. You got to go watch it. Okay. The character of Ming Ming and Elf was played by Peter Billingsley from A Christmas Story. Oh man, you can put your eye, you can shoot yes. your eye out. Okay. Yeah. That's a very good bit of trivia. I, I must have seen that like in the credits and go, is, is that it? it right. You, know, you kind of wonder if that's, there's not many Billingsleys running around. <laughs> right. <laughs> and okay. and uh, Gina and I did go up to Lorraine Palace and watch a Christmas story. And I, 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 think I saw a post from that. Okay. I realized that I haven't watched that movie in many, many years. And I don't know why. It is so good if you like uh um forrest gump tom hanks this is that type of movie and it holds up today it's set in the 50s so it's like a period piece so but the way it's done in the story it still holds up it's still funny there were kids in pajamas watching it laughing there were 80 year olds watching it so i agree it is a great movie it's got perfect scenes it's got a whole series of great scenes it's got Darren McGavin, it's got you know what I mean. All yes, uh, Kolchak, kind of like Sandlot. You know what I mean. All kinds of kids that grew up to be in other movies and stuff. So that's very cool. Okay, so there's our trivia. uh, Okay, Christmas trivia. Let's see. So recommendations, real quick. I've started a series called Sandman Slim. Yes, uh, I think it's Richard Kudry, and there's actually like a dozen in the series, and it wasn't on my radar until just recently. But of course, I dove into the first one, and it's like supernatural urban crime fiction of course you know the guy is uh he escapes from hell he's a nephilim who is you know the product of an angel mating with a human so he's got some powers but not powerful as an angel it it, they are so wonderfully 
vulgar and uh, iconoclastic. Like the guy writes really floridly and vulgarly. And I just, I laugh out loud at any number of descriptions he has for just how badly this guy was killed, just how terrible the stench is of something coming from hell and stuff like that. So if you're looking for that kind of thing, kind of like, it's like urban supernatural, like uh, who does it? Jim Butcher does it well. And uh, uh, Benedict Jacka with the Alex Viris books did it well. This is that plus throw in the executioner because there's a lot of killing. There's a whole bunch (laughs) of death and stuff. Um, I also recently discovered a thing called Once in Future. It's Oh, a, that's a great book. Oh my god, it's fantastic. I, I have Comixology and Hoopla, so I regularly am looking for um what's coming out now that I because I'm not buying regularly now. I'm looking for what the coolest new things are and totally stumbled onto this one. Kieran Gillen and um yes. Dan Mora, the illustrator. I don't know their work real well, but then I realized I've been reading something from Dan Mora and I really like his artwork. The overall story is um so King Arthur is supposed to come back when Britain is at its greatest time of need. You know, there's a, a particular phrase that goes with that's when the once and future king will return. Well, what if King Arthur coming back is not the solution to that, but he's the one that makes it that you're in the once and you know, the greatest time of need? What if he's really the child slave, the bad guy that he also did some horrible things while he was king, and they make a lot out of that? Wow. And so it's you know, there's there's references to the Knights of the Round Table and that they might also have become corrupted over time. Like it's really, really well done. And I love things where I know the whole the Mort Arthur, the whole Arthurian cycle pretty well. And the way that they break the rules and change things, but still make it so that you can guess what might be coming up, but then you're continually surprised. I love being surprised. When you've read a lot, you have the standard 36 plots. And usually within the first five minutes, you're like, oh, this is plot number 22. <laughs> I love it when I get surprised. And so this book is that. It's really nice. well done. And I can't wait to read more. Colin, you know it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been reading it. It's been a lot of fun. You should read pretty much anything Karen Gillan's ever re- written. Okay. He's one of my favorite writers right now. He did an excellent run on Star Wars and Darth Vader. That is one of some of the best stuff ever written in the Star Wars universe. That's what I tend to do is I find a new guy and it's like I devour everything they did because then I trust them, you know? (laughs) He's he's doing Eternals right now and Eternals are my favorite thing Kirby ever did and this is the best run that's ever happened. Um, Fantastic. And he did this book with you got to read it. It is so good. It is one of my favorites of all time. And actually, I've read all those. There's like four volumes. Okay. And I I didn't connect the name. You know, sometimes names don't stick oddly because i usually do remember but i really liked those and i kept finding at the library and going i've never heard of this before let's give it a try and then i'm like you know colleen and i often end the day reading uh in in bed and i'll be like let me just let me just give you this little bit of dialogue because it's so perfect you know what i mean comic book ease that is just so perfectly written and i love that title as well but i didn't realize how much i was already a fan until i saw the reference to the wicked and the divine so i knew that part exactly Okay, and then um, Dan Mora is doing the art for Detective Comics right now, and I swear that dude was born to draw Batman. It it, oh, it's it's some of the most perfect stuff I've seen of Batman, and he's going to do a World's Finest series with Mark Wade uh, in March that I'm very excited about. He also worked on Black Hammer, which I I discovered, and that's like I wow, this guy 
someone that can do kind of gold and silver age artwork, but modernized slightly, but still, you know what I mean? When you can do modern primitivism, um, there's a couple of people that are really good at that, that it, it's not as finely detailed. So it looks kind of corny and old style. Like, like we mentioned, um, um, Michael Avon um, Emming does that really well. I, I really kind of like where I usually like ultra realistic artwork and where someone does a cartoony style that's still very effective. I'm like, how did he sneak past me? Usually I dismiss the cartoony stuff if it's not a cartoon. And yet it's in service to the plot. It's, I don't know, I, I like Dan Mora's art and I will look for more of him as well. So very you cool. Should, if you like Dan Mora too, you should look up uh, Evan Doc Shaner. Okay. Um, he just finished a 12 issue strange adventures series about uh adam strange with oh. uh tom uh king one of my favorite writers absolutely and his stuff feels a lot like doc shaner or it feels a lot like uh dan mora's but a little less modern it is it is quintessentially silver age okay but by the way you mentioned him earlier i've never warmed to scotty young really uh, oh honestly oh. i just Somehow his stuff is a little bit too exaggerated or a little bit too childish. And I just, I dismiss it because it just doesn't work for me. That's I know funny. other people really love it. And yet, uh, it's all kind of funny. I, I, I really don't mean to ever diss anybody. I really always want to be about who I like versus who I dislike. But because you mentioned it, it was like, I don't know what it is, but that his doesn't work for me. Whatever he does, you, a variant cover of various different things. That's the one I would never fucking buy. I don't want that in my collection. I think it's. Have you, <laughs> have you read um, his Oz stuff? I don't think so. No. Because he did an adaptation of Oz. It's, it's very, the art is very different. He has this like chibi style that he does now that okay. I'm not super crazy keen on, like the varying covers that you were talking about. Okay. But some of the stuff in the beginning of his career before Marvel contracted him to draw every character ever as a cute little cartoon. Right. It was, pop, you know, <laughs> yes, it was very stylistic, but okay. it, it's it very really good. worked, especially with Oz. Um, he's also cool. working with an artist right now on a lot of creator own stuff called Jorge Corona and Corona kind of keeps a lot of um, Scotty Young's, feeling of his older work it, but makes it his own you should check that stuff out too they did a series that i absolutely adore called the me you love in the dark the five issue mini series just ended from image comics it was amazing um it was one of those books that every month that it came out i would recommend it to people so we had to keep ordering the previous issues so people could catch up got it and that's, i'm taking a couple notes here because you know, I've often been the guy that tells, oh, you haven't heard of this one, but you really like it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you have the, the modernity, the current stuff coming out, because you work at a comic book store and you really are able to say, this is, these are the diamonds amongst all the regular stuff. I really If you want, I can start sending you like, hey, here's my recommendations of stuff that I happen I to read. That. You know, hey, like that. You should start a Substack thing, and I'll subscribe. Colin, Colin, send it to me, and we'll put something on the website. You know, the weekly comic recommendations or something. Okay. That would be cool. As I discover them, I'm happy to crow about like what I just said. You know, hey, I just finished the Alex Vera series, and now here's Once in Future. And and when I find something that isn't just, okay, the next in the series, and it's really good. I just read the latest Spencer book by Ace Atkins because Robert P. Parker died, and it was good. But it's not like, hey, everybody read this. 
it, it <laughs> or something really is like that, that it stands out like once the future did. I really want to tell everybody, you know, this is how good comic books can be. This is really good. And, and that's, you know, I find that interesting. You say that about Scotty Young and it just shows everybody's like something different and there's reasons to like, that's why this modern culture of, Oh, you don't like what I like. Well, you're stupid. You suck. And this is why you're wrong. You know, that's because I, I love Scotty Young. I got, I hate fairyland and I didn't know quite what it was, but I'm like, oh, that looks kind of cute. I started reading it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so great. I loved it. Just devoured it. And, and I, you know, Colin told me free comic book day. Hey, Scotty Young has a T-shirt. I'm like, give it to me. I, I want one. You know, <laughs> I, I, I really liked his art. Uh, I actually thought of trying to commission him for something, but he doesn't do personal commissions anymore. Okay. And w- what you just said, maybe the way to post today's thing is, boy, is that true about matters of taste? I yeah. had so many discussions of, this isn't a matter of fact, of right or wrong or true or false. It's a matter of taste. If you don't like ketchup on your hot dog, it's not that suddenly I'm a bad guy because I like ketchup. You know, you don't have to savage me over your taste. And yet people do. Right. You know, they tell you about this is the, the, like the, the one good Spider-Man. No, there's three. You know, it, it, it's weird to have people be so, like, I don't know, dismissively opinionated about things that I wish that they would just say to each their own. Everybody gets their own favorites. And, and appreciate why somebody likes or doesn't like something, because that could give you a, a, a deeper understanding of why you like something or help pick out new things that you would like. Say, oh, you know what? That's a good point as to why I don't like that. So now I can evaluate better these other things as to whether I'll like them or not. That's a great way. It's not only a matter of awareness of how they're thinking, but how you're thinking. And that sometimes when you're like, well, I don't know, I just like it. When someone says, well, if you did know, what would you say? Right. Then you really have to, well, so what is it? What is it in my background? What is it in my, I like these colors. I like this, whatever else it might be. That's, I don't know why I like the color orange. And yet I really do. And so, but why would that be? Because it's energetic, because it's associated with flavors that I like or whatever else it might be. But even that is not, sometimes, you know, there's, wow. Next time we'll talk about Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Oh, yes. <laughs> Reduction versus quality. And how sometimes when you try to get to the, here's the four facts that lead to this one conclusion, you can't do that. The conclusion stands by itself and reducing it to these individual factors, that doesn't explain it. It actually weakens the argument. It, it degrades the why of it, if you will. And that's very different from, you know, frames of thought for whether you're an anthropologist or whether you're a statistician or whether you're, you know, I mean, can you add this up to get to the right solution? Sometimes that works, and sometimes it absolutely doesn't. Right. All right. Before we go, I, I got a new desktop uh, plaything to show. Um, I gotta leave. I gotta, gotta get go, ready bud. for work. I'm late. Right. Thanks, Colin. I, Thank I had so a fun. Much. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you very much for being our guest. Okay. All so right. this is Brom Stoker with a little Dracula book. <laughs> I was gonna say Tesla, but now that I see the Dracula, yeah. okay. So him good. and Stephen King keep me inspired. Right here. <laughs> Let's see what can I show off today. Here's December 23rd in my puzzle a day (laughs) that I'm still, Colleen just got one as well. And so she's been mentioning that she's been getting them done. And I'm like, wow, I I don't know that many people that are as into puzzles as I am. So to find that Colleen is enjoying, it's like, well, that's cool. Something we can share. (laughs) I I saw something that made me think of you. Um, They've got Rubik's Cubes for some reason are like having another renaissance. And I saw Rubik's Cubes out, but now they have ones that are like, uh, six rows square oh, and oh, i'm like far more than that i've seen them where they're like 20 by 20 and i'm like that's just 
insane. (laughs) I want to know the internal workings. How does that work to revolve it all? I want to see the inside. Yeah, they got cool articles online about that, about how they first figured it out and how they've made it so that it really does work for even more facets. Wow. Smoothly and stuff. It's an engineering marvel. It's really cool. I'll have to look at that. But then they also (laughs) have the two by two. I'm like, really? Is that hard to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, all right, man. Well, hey, you guys have a great Christmas. Same for you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Take care. Very fun. Tell Colleen, Merry Christmas. And same for Gina. Okay. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.